Welcome back to another episode of Nuclecast. Of course, I am your host, as with all previous hundred plus episodes, with the exception of one, and that's me, Adam Lowther. And today we have a great guest in Mr. James Stim, who is the curator at the National Museum of Nuclear Science and History, which is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And if if you've never been to Kirtland Air Force Base, which is right there in the middle of Albuquerque, the museum is right outside the gate. Uh, you know, I used to, whenever I was at Albu, you know, at uh, Kirtland, that was the gate I always avoided because whenever the Sandians left. That was the gate that was the most backed up. It would take 20 minutes to get out of the gate. So, and that was always where the the advocates of nuclear disarmament would stand outside the gate across from your museum and hold up the signs. So I know exactly where you're located. Uh, so Great. thanks for joining us on, on this episode of NucleCast. Well, I'm very pleased to be with you today. So you've got sort of... You know, the the museum dedicated it. Well, let me rephrase that. You've got the public museum dedicated to the topic of, of nuclear science, because at Kirtland, of course, there's the the NWIM, which is a classified museum. So many of our listeners may or may not have been to both. But for those who are not inside the DOD and who are members of the general public who might be listening, your museum is the perfect museum for them to go to. Could you tell us a little bit about the museum and what it offers and what visitors can expect? Sure, absolutely. Um, as you said, we are the public, ex- publicly accessible face of the nuclear weapons programs of the United States. Um, so, but we don't focus solely on weapons. We also look at nuclear energy and uh, nuclear medicine and also the cultural impacts of the nuclear sciences on people. So essentially, probably about half of our museum is focused on the history of the development of nuclear weapons um, from the Manhattan Project through to through the Cold War. Um, so we have quite a few uh, various types of bombs. We have aircraft, we have missiles, all that, all that kind of stuff that you would expect to see. Um, and then we also talk about, uh, different types of energy production reactors. We talk about reactors and ships. Uh, we talk about nuclear medicine, treatments for cancer, things like that. So basically anything that has to do with the nuclear sciences, we try to represent it in some way. Yeah. Yeah. So, for for your exhibits, are there any, I think the last time I was probably at the museum was maybe six years ago. And so what is there for those who haven't been through the museum in a while, like me, is there anything that's that, you know, new exhibits, new information that, that I would come back and specifically see for the first time? Well, you know, we we try to move things around a little bit. Most of our permanent exhibits, like the Manhattan Project exhibit, things like that, don't change very often. Um, But we do add things to it. We just recently added, um, people have probably seen the red and green arming plugs from Little Boy. We just added a pair of those to that exhibit. Um, we, We are currently planning some expansion in our Cold War exhibit to bring a few more things in there. Um. We just uh, rehabilitated an exhibit on the 
WIP, the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant down in southern New Mexico. So we talk about how they store and are disposing of uh, nuclear waste from the weapons programs. Um, and, you know, we also do uh, regular traveling exhibits um, or temporary exhibits. We have one up right now that's going to run through the end of the year that is um, all about, uh, it's called At Play in the Atomic Age. It's all about toys and games and music that is related to um, nuclear topics and how those have impacted in in that aspect. So for visitors of, of the museum, how would you recommend that if they want to get the most out of it and they want to really learn a lot, you know, for a lot of folks, nuclear is not something that they think about. So as, as they go through this museum, this might be one of their first or only experiences to try to understand nuclear weapons, nuclear energy, like nuclear medicine. Most people don't, they may not necessarily associate nuclear with medicine. How do you think they should, should, you know, go through your museum and, you know, what should they focus on and where do they start? Where do they end? How do they get through this to really understand and get a grasp of what is nuclear? Well, I think um, the easiest place to start right at the beginning of the museum, we have a section that talks about what radiation is about what uh, nuclear. uh, Let me, how do I want to say this? about the people who have uh, who made major discoveries in the nuclear sciences, about how radiation works, what it comes from, how it affects people. Um, that's the easiest place for people to start. After that, um, most people go through our section on the Manhattan Project and the Second World War. Um, that's probably the most um, common way to go through, and then it follows through the history and then people get into the the sections on uh, nuclear energy and uh, nuclear waste disposal and and the cultural impacts of of nuclear energy. And I think that probably is that's the most common way for people to go through it. And I think it's probably the way that that people get the best experience of the museum. Yeah. So. It- if you were to, you know, we always end up in the gift shop. That's sort of how any museum tour ends. <laughs> and so if we get to the gift shop, is there one item that's like, you got to take the, this is what, this is the best item to get out and take home. Oh. And I, I always get refrigerator magnets for my daughter because as I've traveled the world, refrigerator magnets were sort of small and easy to carry. But yeah, is, those is there are, some those are very popular? Yeah. Um, you know, we, other than the, our gift shop is basically the, the very common things you would expect to find t-shirts, hats, refrigerator magnets. Um, I think one of the things we have that's, that's quite popular. We, there's an artist here in town who draws um, postcards specifically for us. He's done the art and it's uh the B-29 that we have on display or the replica of the Trinity site tower that we have on display. And so it's, it's very uh, directly connected to us. So there's a lot of stuff like that, that you're not going to find other places. Now for, for you as a curator, and this is, you know, you spent your whole career as a curator and you spent 
you know, two and a half decades at the Pima Air and Space Museum. So when you came to this museum, you, you, you left air and space, you come to nuclear and you've been here a few years. What has been sort of the most interesting things that you've, you've become, you know, expert in that you've learned, you know, what, what you know, cause it's air and space and nuclear are not exactly the same. So it's what, what have exactly, you learned? No. So what, what's been really interesting, what, you know, that you've said, Hmm, this is what I didn't expect. Um, I think it's been the, um, the breadth of what we talk about here. Um, I, as you said, it, you know, you don't really think about nuclear medicine and, and that sort of stuff as a part of the nuclear story. I mean, obviously, you know, radiation is used in treatment of cancer and so forth, but you don't really think about how that development of that technology comes directly from the Manhattan Project and the development of reactors and stuff for that. Uh, I think that's been one of the most interesting parts of it. Yeah. And as you, for you as a museum, you know, I'm familiar, you know, there's the nuclear testing museum in Las Vegas. Uh, the, the labs have their museums. Do y'all sort of cooperate together, maybe share exhibits, you know, are y'all working on projects together? How does that collaboration, because you're always trying to build the story and grow the knowledge and understanding of what happened and who was doing it. And, and then, you know, you tell that story as a museum. So as you're trying to do that, who are you working with? Where are you getting your sources and information and material from? How does that whole process work? Well, we get we do collaborate fairly closely with with several of the other nuclear focused museums. Uh, the Bradbury Science Center up in Los Alamos, in particular, is one of our major partners. Uh, we loan each other artifacts. We answer questions for each other because um, we all have access to different things depending on what has been given to us at different times um, and what the uh, what our particular focus is. So the, the lab museums uh, are more focused on specifically what happened at that lab at Oak Ridge or at Los Alamos or up at Hanford, whatever. Um, whereas we are much more of a generalist. Uh, we look at all of it um, where they may be more strictly focused on one particular aspect of the story. Yeah. And so when it comes to your artifacts and your materials, where are you getting them from? Where does your stuff come from, your your documents, all of the things that, you know, that allow you to build your exhibits? A lot of our stuff comes from individuals who are donating their personal uh, papers, their artifacts of, from their time in the Air Force or the Navy or wherever they at were connected to nuclear weapons or to the nuclear sciences in some way. Um, the larger artifacts, things like the weapons are government property. So we get those, those are, we are the custodian of those for the department of energy. So um, we are the ones who, who take care of that, the public collections for the DOE. 
uh, aircraft, things like that. We have on loan from the uh, Air Force Museum in Dayton or from other, the Navy Museum. Um, so that's that's kind of, we, we have a two-tiered collection. One is the government collection, which is the things that we we maintain on behalf of the government. And then the rest are things that it just individuals have given us over the years. I mean, the museum's been here since 1969. Um, and over that time, we've had hundreds and hundreds of people who have donated their papers, their photographs, their artifacts to help us tell the nuclear story. Yeah. it's uh, and, and so when it comes to, you know, how you sustain yourself, is it through primarily through ticket sales, through financial donations, through sponsorships, through? For the most part, yeah. Um, we are, the museum is operated by a nonprofit organization. So we are, we receive some government funding, but not a huge amount. Um, so most of it is what people have, what people donate to us or gate uh, admissions and sales in the gift shop. Yeah. So for you as somebody who's been there a few years, relatively new and, and you've been diving into the, this nuclear story, are, are there some stories that you've come across that are particularly interesting or meaningful that, you know, perhaps, you know, we've never heard of we, the public, or even, you know, guys like me who've spent, you know, 20 plus years doing this, is, is there some really interesting stories? Because as you go through people's papers and, and you, you know, you're diving into this, there's got to be some, some stuff that, that guys like me are just like, huh, I didn't know that. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff, a lot of our stories are, are the best ones are tied to specific artifacts. Um, so we have things like we have a, a license plate from a car that was in Nagasaki on the day that the bomb dropped. Um, and, the, you know, the story behind that is it, it, it's recovered by an American serviceman after the, after the U.S. comes into the Nagasaki area. And he eventually passes it on to uh, a U.S. senator who keeps it for years and then passes it on to us. I mean, and this is just a small, very personal sort of thing that, that survived that event and bears witness to it. It's, it's burned and bent and things like that. And it's, so it's, it's, it's a very personal sort of thing like that. Um, we all, you know, and it's, it's, some of the things are not really directly necessarily connected to nuclear weapons development or even to nuclear science development. A lot, some of the things that are really interesting that we have are, um, related to actually the anti-nuclear movement. Um, so we have a number of artifacts from that, from that movement that are very evocative and moving from that point of view. So we like to, we try to represent a wide variety of opinion. So we're not trying to be a, a cheerleader for the nuclear industry or anything. We want to present scientific and historical facts and let people make up their own minds. And so that sort of stuff, that that's the sort of stuff that people don't really expect us to have. Also, the fact that we have a very large collection of toys and games that are related to nuclear topics. That's something that a lot of people 
do not expect to see in a place like this. They expect it's all going to be bombs and airplanes and, you know, this other stuff really, I think they, they're really surprised by it. This episode of NucleCast is brought to you by the Amla Deterrence Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. So is is there a you know for for folks who may be interested is there a regular you know pizza and game night that you host is that like every <laughs> Thursday night? And, uh, I wish we could do something like that. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it would be uh, you know be something you might get it quite a the turnout for. So yeah, Especially, so if 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 you think about sort of the visitors that you've had. Have there been any visitors that have come through and, you know, as they're looking at exhibits are like, hey, that's a picture of me or, hey, I was there on that day. And then you sort of add to the story of what happened. Does that happen often? It does happen occasionally. Um, it's getting rarer, particularly for the earlier aspects of this. I mean, there are very few Manhattan Project people left. Um we do actually have one one man who is associated with the museum who comes still comes in regularly. He just turned 101, but he worked in the Manhattan Project, um, and so he's he's our last actual Manhattan Project survivor. Um, we do get people from a little later on. Every once in a while, we'll see we get someone comes in and looks at you know one of the airplanes we have out there and says, "Oh yeah, I flew that one," and then you know sometimes we get stories from them about you know well what were you doing with that airplane and you know what what kind of things did you do and what was your job and so we get that sort of stuff fairly regularly but um as time goes on we get fewer and fewer of the, of the pioneer people and we're getting more people for whom you know some people it was it was just their job they didn't really you know it was what they did and that was it it wasn't really a a life changing thing for a lot of them yeah and are you are you guys actively capturing the oral histories that that you may be able we, to? We did um, in 2019. We took over the websites and collections of the Atomic Heritage Foundation, um, which did a program called Voices of the Manhattan Project. They collected several hundred uh, oral histories from people um, from Oppenheimer on down. Uh, that deal with the, the Manhattan Project time period. Um, we are looking into a project to do something similar for the Cold War period. Um, at this point, we're we're trying to work out funding for that so that program and uh, you know how we're going to staff that. Um, but that's something we are looking at. We're hoping to be able to uh, to do that in the future. So as you think about you know, the future and how you capture this, this, his, this nuclear history. Do you have some, some big goals, big objectives you're hoping to accomplish in the years ahead? Um, I think my main goal is to enhance what we show now um, by bringing more of the, of the, post-Manhattan Project, the Cold War era, the, and into the future, bringing that more to, uh, into focus for our visitors. Um, 
at the moment, our, our, our presentation of the Cold War is fairly limited. So we're, we have weapons out there with a little sign next to them telling people what it is, but we don't have a whole lot of interpretation. That's one aspect that I would really like to, to enhance in the museum. Um, the other one is that um, we need, we'd like to look in a little more detail at the non-weapons nuclear topics. So in particular, energy development and, um, and that sort of stuff. So that's where our, that's where our main focus is probably going to be in the near future. Yeah. And so as you, as you think about, um, how you see the presentation of nuclear. I mean, with the Oppenheimer movie, I'm, I'm sure you're, you know, the, the number of folks coming through the museum has gone up. I would imagine, I would imagine it's generated more interest. What do you think as you've seen this sort of resurgence of interest? What is there, is there a gap that needs to be filled? Um, I think it, it, a lot of the gap really is in the um, in the nuclear energy and in that aspect of of the nuclear sciences. I think that's an area that no one is really presenting in a really systematic way. Um, we have we do a little bit, um, but our exhibits are aging unfortunately they're they're fairly they're getting to be 12 15 years old so they need updating we need to be look we i want to look more at the future of nuclear energy and some of the new and really interesting technologies that are out there and are under development now for preservation and yeah for preservation i you know there are a lot of these things that there are a lot of companies out there that are designing new reactors or looking at new technologies for nuclear reactors. They're really focused on what they're doing. They're not really trying to preserve this in a systematic way of saying, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it, why we're doing it. Um, so that's our job. So we're trying to reach out to those people to say, you know, Hey, what do you have? What can you give us information-wise or artifact-wise that can help us tell the story of what you're trying to do and get that to people so that they can recognize that nuclear sciences, the nuclear sciences didn't end in 1945. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a interesting point. I I wonder is for for the the business of pre preserving our nuclear history for the museums that are out there for you is 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 it a an easy task to be able to do this you know is is keeping the doors open is you know seeing people come through be, with interest is that an easy task or is that a difficult task um it is a difficult task um a lot of the information that we would love to present to people is classified. We can't tell them. Um, so, and a lot of the questions people ask us, you know, we have to say, you know, we're not able to answer that question for you. But um, that's one of the biggest difficulties. The other difficulty is, is convincing people that this stuff is actually interesting to them, that it's not, just the bombs, not just 
weapons and destruction and that sort of stuff, but we're really talking about a technology and science that is constructive as well as destructive. Yeah. And I assume with, with that you would, there's, and I don't remember cause it's been six years since I've been through, but I would imagine there's, there's, you know, a discussion of atoms for peace and, you know, the aspirational goals of Eisenhower and sure. Yeah. We do talk about atoms for peace a little bit. Um, we have quite a few artifacts and things from the, uh, the nuclear ship Savannah, the only commercial nuclear powered ship ever built in the United States. Um, so we do talk about that. And that was a part of Eisenhower's Adams for Peace program. Um, so a lot of that is, is stuff that we talk about and it's, but not in great detail, unfortunately. And that's another aspect that I would like to see us, us uh, try to promote a little bit more. Now, do you, just out of curiosity, because I'm oftentimes on Nuclecast, we'll interview uh, folks from, from the nuclear power side who are talking about third and fourth generation reactors and about, you know, putting reactors in space and all sorts of sort of new and interesting technologies. Do you have any of that technology? Some of the newer stuff that they're looking to replace these you know, these uh, nuclear reactors that were built in the, you know, the 60s and early 70s? We have a little bit. We have a small exhibit about um, thorium molten, uh, molten salt reactors. Um, we've been talking to a company here in Albuquerque um, called Kairos Power, um, who are working on small reactor development. Um, so we we have a few small things about it, but that's really an aspect that we have not been able to really bring into the museum at this point. Well, we'll see what we can do to help. We've got some I would, contacts. I would, love, <laughs> I would love contacts, people who are willing to, you know, help work with us to to help present the the future of uh, nuclear energy. Yeah, we'll see what we can do for you there. Um, so at this point in the show, I like to bring out my genie. His name is Bob and he grants three wishes to all of our, our guests, but they, they can only be related to the topics we've been discussing. So as, as I bring out Bob and rub the lamp and he's here to grant you your three wishes, what would those three wishes be? Um, let's see more space, more money. And more stuff. That's that's the that's the that's the secret of museums. Lots of money, lots of space to display things, and lots of things to put out for people to enjoy. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Okay, so wish number one. Do you have any, more money. two more? More money. Ah, uh, wish number two. <laughs> <laughs> wish number two. Um, I would love to be to be able to get more material related to the post Manhattan project era. Um, the, the first, you know, 20 years of the atomic age, that's the time period where there's so much going on and it's, it's stuff that we don't have a whole lot of. Um, we kind of have the 1940s. Then we sort of have a little bit in the fifties and a lot more in the sixties and seventies and eighties. Um, so that that mid fifties time period is an area where I would really love people to be bringing us more stuff. 
Um, okay, so listeners, you've heard uh, you've heard the request. If if you've got some of that stuff, you know who to contact. You know where he is. He's looking for you to make a contribution to the museum. Okay, so you've got your second wish. One final wish. My one final wish is, hmm, more space. We need bigger. We need a bigger building. We need we need more land to to do this to do what we do on. Um, we have plans, but you know it's 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 a long term sort of thing. But that's that's the main thing is being able to expand what we do and where how much we can put out for people, and that gives us a better chance to tell a more complete and balanced stories. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, uh, James Stem. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's uh, good to talk about it. Hopefully, you know, you'll see a few extra visitors. Hopefully. Oppenheimer gave us a little bit of a boost, but we can always use more. Well, thanks. Uh, James Stem, curator at the National Museum of Nuclear Science and History. Thanks for joining us on Nuclecast. My pleasure. And thanks to you, the listeners. And we hope you'll join us on the next episode. You know, it's, you know, we oftentimes don't necessarily think about museums, right? I mean, we sort of go through them and, but museums play really an important role in preserving our history and preserving, you know, that not necessarily the the technical knowledge, but just the, for the public what happened and, you know, what is, you know, what were the implications and who were the participants and what, you know, what is that, you know, that tangible stuff. And so talking to James Stem was, was important because it was our opportunity to really get a sense of, you know, here's the, you know, this national museum of nuclear science and history and, and they're out there trying to preserve that stuff. And so we, we got a good sense of, you know, what are they trying to do? How do they do it? You know, what are the requirements? And so hopefully it will spur you to take part. You know, he's looking for stuff from the early 50s. And they're always looking for stories and looking for ways to offer better interpretation of their exhibits. And that might mean you need to help. So hopefully you'll step in. This has been a production of the Anwa Deterrence Center. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington, and this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Frumpal. Follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Nuclecast. Listen, follow, and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.